Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two ministers of God's economy who served together in China for nearly 20 years. Watchman Nee was imprisoned by the Chinese government in 1952 and remained there until his death in 1972. Following his imprisonment, Witness Lee carried on this ministry in Taiwan and eventually in America and ultimately around the world. He served the Lord for more than 70 years before going to be with him in 1997. His major contribution was through a 21-year labor he called Life Study, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible. This program is based on those messages. Before we join today's show, we'd like to give you our website where you can find more programs just like this one. It's lsmradio.org. Again, lsm radio.org. Now, here's our show today. If you ask most people, they would tell you that God dwells in the heavens. Well, while this is surely the case, the Bible tells us again and again that he is the God of heaven and earth. So while from eternity he has dwelt in the heavens, the Bible reveals that his goal, even his desire, is to dwell on earth with man. Old Testament books like Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers give us a very sweet picture of his earthly dwelling place, which at that time was in the tabernacle. We're delighted again to have Gary Evans with us for Life Study of the Bible. Gary is an infrequent but always an, a looked-forward-to guest on our program. Gary, welcome back to the program. Chris, it is a real privilege to be here. What is at hand before us today, Gary, is Numbers chapter 7. This chapter begins a new section in the book of Numbers. We've seen in oh, our previous programs now that God has dealt with his people in a number of ways, dealing with many of the negative things. But then, following the Nazarite vow, he has formed them into an army, according to the tribes of the children of Israel, and arrayed them in a beautiful way, surrounding his tabernacle, which really is the tabernacle of testimony, God's testimony. And we've come to the point where God is ready to move in, so to speak, Gary, to this earthly home. But at this stage, at least, in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, it was more of a motor home, wasn't it? That's right. You know, the tabernacle speaks of a kind of a mobile home throughout the wilderness. We know that God's intention was to have the temple, a permanent dwelling with a solid foundation there in Jerusalem. But in the meantime, as he moved his people out of Egypt to that permanent dwelling, his habitation was known as the tabernacle. And Chris, you could literally take this thing down in a very quick way and then move further through the wilderness and then reassemble it again. We're going to see in the coming chapters just how that happened. Uh, several programs will be devoted to the journeying of God with his people in the tabernacle. But today, again, we're at chapter 7, and a couple of interesting things take place. Uh, let me read just two verses. I've selected verse 1 and verse 3 in this chapter. Verse 1 says, And on that day that Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all its furnishings and the altar 
and all its utensils, and had anointed them and sanctified them. The leaders of Israel, the heads of their fathers' households, they were leaders of the tribes who were over those who had been numbered, presented their offering. And they brought their offering before Jehovah, six covered wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for every two of the leaders, and an ox for each one, and they presented them before the tabernacle. So, Gary, we have the tabernacle, the altar, and the utensils anointed, and then the presenting of these oxen and wagons to go with them. It all will fit together, I think, before we're done today. Let's go to Witness Lee. After the dealing, and after the testing, and after the uh, blessing, now the situation between God and Israel has come to a new stage. The people are ready, even are formed into an army camping in an array. Everything according to people's side is ready. Then, on the side of God, the tabernacle was built. It was not only built, but also set up. It was raised up, standing on the earth in the whole universe, declaring that the heavenly God, the God in the very heavens, now has a dwelling place on this earth. Even in the wilderness, from the bird's eye view, looking down, you could see two items. The big one is the tabernacle, and the smaller one is the altar. The tabernacle signifies God's embodiment on this earth to be his habitation where he can dwell among men and through which man can not only contact him but also even enter into him to participate what he is in all his divine elements and divine attributes, such as the shewbread, the lamp with the light, and the incense altar with incense, then the ark. That indicates man now even can enter into God. Isn't this wonderful? Gary, he asked the question, isn't this wonderful? I think we would both answer it. Yes, this is wonderful. It's marvelous. After God has formed his people into an army and arrayed them, he's now ready to declare to the whole universe that he has a dwelling place on earth with his people. Two items that we just saw from this bird's eye view, Gary, the tabernacle and the altar. How do these two things together convey that God really is with man and that man has an entrance into not just God's house, but into God himself. Well, you know, Chris, even today in our own generation, most people think that God is far away and they like to go up to a high mountain to try and get close to God or to get away to some remote area in nature. And the higher, the better, because they think that God is way up in the heavens. And so the closer you can get to the clouds, maybe the closer you're getting to God, when actually God's intention was always to come to the earth. In a few places where his glory left the temple, he was then called no longer the God of the heavens and the earth, but the God of the heavens only. But that was not his intention. Even in Ezekiel, you can see that he very reluctantly left the earth. 
His glory left the earth step by step. He was hoping that his people would repent. God's intention has always been to dwell with man, to dwell in man, and to have man dwell in him. So this is a marvelous thing. The tabernacle is God's embodiment on the earth to be his habitation. We don't have to go up to the mountains, but we can find in Christ God's habitation. God became a man. That means that we can participate in all that God is. It's like taking a tour. My kids and I recently went to an interactive museum. It was a science museum. And as we went in, we entered into a realm of science. Science was just there. Uh And then we interacted with several of the exhibits and pulled levers and jumped on things. And we experienced science. Well, likewise, our triune God has made himself available. He has a habitation. We can enter into God and we can participate in God. We can experience God in so many ways, like the lampstand as our light or the showbread as our nourishment. Right. This is wonderful. It is. Gary, of course, uh, we know the altar was at the entrance to the tabernacle. So the altar representing the redemption of Christ really gives us a door that makes all of this interactive, the triune God, accessible to us, doesn't it? Well, it's a fact that when you repent to God and you desire to contact him and enter into him, you also become very aware of your own sinful condition. You become very aware of the old creation. And what God is doing on the earth has nothing to do with the old creation. God intends through the cross, through the altar, through the redemption of Christ, to make us a new creation. So God's dwelling with man is a matter of the new creation in Christ. Gary, we had a reference here in chapter 7. Not only was the tabernacle set up now and the altar placed at the opening, but the utensils and the tabernacle itself were anointed. Let me go back and just read a little bit from verse 1 again. And on the day that Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils and had anointed them and sanctified them. This anointing we're going to hear about in the coming section. And I will tell our listeners, the anointing referred to here, a very favorite topic of Witness Lee, a real high point in this ministry. Let's go back to him. Now, the first thing is to anoint all the tabernacle with its furnishings, do you understand what is the significance of anointing? To anoint, what does this mean? First of all, we have to know what is the ornament with which the anointing is accomplished. The ornament is just a kind of paint. The ornament is just the compound, all-inclusive spirit. It is an ointment compounded with different elements. That compound is just the consummation of the triumph God. And the consummation of the triumph God is the compound spirit, all-inclusive, with God's divine nature and human nature with his incarnation, with his human living, with his all-inclusive death, and with his wonderful resurrection, and with his ascension. This is the triune God compounded with all what he has passed 
through. This is the anointing. To anoint means what? Is to put this kind of ointment upon the anointed object. Just like to paint. The more there you put on, the better. To anoint is just to put the processed, compounded Chuyong God with his incarnation, death, resurrection, ascension as a whole. Now, here is the tabernacle. It has nothing to do with God. So, God has to anoint it. God has to put the ointment upon this tabernacle and upon this altar. There are two items which are absolutely one with the compounded, consummated triune God. Hallelujah! Amen. On that day, when Israel were formed into an army, camping in array, Moses put the ointment upon the tabernacle and an altar, indicating from that time these two things, the tabernacle and the altar, are one with the compounded and consummated triangle. Gary, as you and I were remarking just now listening, uh, this section was a very good review of the compound ointment that we saw when we were back in our life study of Exodus. You might want to take just a moment and review that a little bit for our listeners, though I do think he uh, gave it a good review here. But I'm particularly interested in this picture of how the anointing of the tabernacle and of the altar really links the triune God with the tabernacle. Well, the major point with these verses in Exodus 30 is that this is not just pure oil. This is a compound ointment. What I mean by that is that it's not just simply the Holy Spirit in its purest essence, but it is the oil, the Holy Spirit, compounded with other elements. We know that some of those elements, for instance, were myrrh and cassia and calamus and cinnamon. These elements represent something. They mainly represent the human living with the suffering of Christ for redemption and the resurrection life of Christ with all of its effectiveness. Now, the Holy Spirit is compounded. That means that all that Christ did, all that Christ is, all that Christ accomplished has been compounded into the Holy Spirit. Now, that's an ointment. When you apply that ointment, that's anointing. The anointing is the ointment in motion, in movement, wonderful, in application, or you could even say in painting. One time, Chris, I was speaking to a conference of young people, and I wanted to illustrate this. I got a big cotton ball, big white cotton ball, and there was a medical doctor there. He had a hypodermic needle, uh-huh. and we filled it with blue ink, and we... We stuck that needle right into the heart, right into the center of that big cotton ball, right. and we injected it with blue ink. Then we watched, Chris, as slowly that blue ink spread. At first, you couldn't see anything on the outside, but inwardly, that ink was spreading from the inside out. Yeah. And within a few moments, you could see blue come out on this side and that side. Eventually, the whole ball was blue. This is a picture of what God is doing in us. Mm. Inwardly, Christ dwells in us as the Spirit. Right. And day by day, he's spreading into our mind, emotion, and will, anointing us, applying all that he is to us, making us one with God. 
So this spreading, saturating, permeating goes on day by day. And that's why, Chris, we need to day by day call on the name of the Lord and enjoy the Lord. Mm. We need to participate in God, contact God, enter into God. And the more we do that, the more God saturates us. Or we could say God soaks us with this holy compound ointment. Isn't that marvelous? That is tremendous. I like both of the uh, pictures you've given us, Gary, this uh, injection of the blue ink into the cotton ball and uh, the interactive museum that you visited with your children. We don't want to just come into God and then uh, be occupied with something else. We want to have an interactive, ongoing experience because that's what engages this anointing process, isn't it? That's right. Gary... Once anointed, the tabernacle was ready to be moved and relocated. Reminding our listeners of how we opened the program with these verses at the beginning of chapter 7, and the leaders of the tribes offered an ox and some wagons to the Levites. And we're going to see now specifically how the Lord used the oxen and the wagons that were all incorporated into this picture of the occupation of the tabernacle. Let's go back to Witness Lee. God, according to his eternal economy, he would not do anything by himself. Only he did something by himself in the old creation, for the old creation. As the new creation, God would not do anything by himself. Even he would not move by himself. He must work with man. He must move with man. Listen, dear saints. I was thinking, how come the uh, omnipotent God have to move by an ox with a wagon? This is not a mule wagon, but an ox wagon. These wagons, six in number, and oxen, 12 in number, they have to be prepared, selected by the 12 tribes. It's not a small thing. Think about it. If you were a God, would you do this way? Two tribes select one wagon, and each tribe select one ox, and they have to offer this to God. The omnipotent God is now in the wagon, and two oxen. What does this mean? <laughs> quite often, quite often, young believers came to me, Brother Lee, I finished reading of the New Testament, I said, then what do you got? I got the last word. The Lord says, I come quickly. <laughs> but, but, brotherly, I can't understand. When did the Lord say this word? When did the Lord say this word? 2,000 years ago. Why still the Lord has not come yet? Why he is so slowly? <laughs> Watch it. Why he is so slow? No, I'm come quickly, 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 2,000 years, not yet. You know what? It is not the one who dwells in the oxen wagon is slow. It is the oxen. <laughs> the transportation we offered is too slow. Gary, I hope this uh, tender point wasn't lost on our listeners here. Here is the omnipotent God confining himself to a wagon being drawn by a pair of oxen. 
there's a lot of symbolism here, a lot of typology. Gary, help us to see how God has limited himself in his move. Well, he's an all-powerful God, but it is incredible that the all-powerful God has chosen to limit his moving to man's cooperation. So these oxen and wagons, they represent man's move in cooperation with God, but it's slow. This is no space shuttle, no 747. The all-powerful God was in a wagon. That's incredible. God's tabernacle with its contents moved so slowly, but God was willing to do that. This illustrates in a very tender way, like you said, Chris, that God wants to move with man and in man. God desires man's cooperation and is willing to go slowly, to be limited in order to have that wonderful cooperation and co-working with mankind. What a privilege to be part of God's move. But it does seem to take a long time. One time I was in a Christian meeting with several young people and we had Watchman Nee's brother-in-law there, Samuel Cheng. And afterward I introduced him and I thought he would say something to praise our meeting. And instead he stood up and said, don't be discouraged. It takes a lifetime to be matured. And at that time, I I thought, what do you mean? This was a great meeting. Then I realized he was talking to a lot of young people, telling us that for God's divine life to mature in us, for the anointing to saturate our entire being, for the divine attributes to fill our human virtues, this would take a long time. But the more we cooperate, the more he grows, the more God has a move on this earth. He has oxen and wagon. At least he has a move. It may be slow. <laughs> it may be slow. But God is moving. Gary, recently I was uh, in a city, and we had an opportunity to visit with several hundred of our listeners in that particular city that enjoy this program and this ministry now a great deal. And comment after comment was how when they first listened, uh, it was a little hard to understand. But once they got a glimpse as to how these pictures are unveiled and opened up in this ministry, the ministry that we've heard today on this very simple point is a good example, I think. How many times would we read the book of Numbers and never stop to pause and consider about the oxen and the wagon? But what a picture we just saw unveiled. It's tremendous, isn't it? Throughout history, God has always moved in conjunction with opening his word. Whenever some saw something further in the Bible, God had a way to move on. We live in wonderful days, Chris, where the Bible is an open book. God is, verse by verse, showing us his great intention. For those of you who would like to contact us about getting the printed material that accompanies our program today, our telephone number, our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. For Gary Evans today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan 
then later to North America, and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening. Was Jesus simply a great religious leader? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Based on the scriptures, the religious people were looking for a great leader, but Jesus was introduced to them as a little lamb with a little dove. The lamb is for redemption, to redeem fallen man back to God. And the dove is for life-giving, for anointing, to anoint man with what God is, to bring God into man and man into God. Both the lamb and the dove are needed for man to participate in God. Scripture, John 1.29, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.